Hello, you're listening to the Inclusive Innovators podcast, a brand new series recorded entirely in lockdown. This series is part of the East London Inclusive Enterprise Zone, aka Elise, powered by UCL. Elise is an accessible, specially designed community for entrepreneurs who are disabled or whose work focuses on accessibility. This series is packed full of change makers, innovators and partners, all of them connected to Elise. Built on the Paralympic legacy, we're working with several partners, including Disability Rights UK, Plexor, and the Global Disability Innovation Hub to pioneer the development of products and services in and around the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Each episode, you'll hear from our host, Matt Pieri. Matt founded Sociability, an app which helps disabled people find accessible spaces such as cafes and bars. This app is now available to download. Hi everybody and welcome back to the second last episode of the Inclusive Innovators podcast. In this week's conversation, I catch up with an old mentor of mine, Shrin Matapalli, who is the former product manager and head of accessibility at Airbnb. Shrin and I have a really interesting conversation about his journey from Oxford to the CEO of Accommable to being acquired by Airbnb and what it's like to work for a big tech firm, but also what it's like to be working in the disability space as a disabled person. We hope you enjoy this conversation and look forward to our final chat next week. Welcome, Shrin. Thanks so much for coming on the Inclusive Innovators podcast. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I was wondering if we might be able to kick off by just having you tell us a little bit about you know, yourself and what you're currently doing. There's, a, there's you know, plenty of different ways to kind of describe your current role, so I'll let you um, put it into the best words. Yeah, sure thing. So up until very recently, I was the lead uh, for accessibility within the homes division of Airbnb. So I ran the product and operational team that was sort of dedicated to building accessible travel options on Airbnb. So that was an entire suite of work that related to sourcing accessible supply, making sure that like properties had what they say they had, but also building the product side of it. And so making sure you could search for such listings and discover them. And so the entire end-to-end experience. So um, yeah, I've been leading that team for the last two and a half years. Um, Prior to that, I was the co-founder and CEO of a travel startup called Accommable, um, which was effectively a travel platform for, for people with disabilities that was acquired by Airbnb in November, 2017. Awesome. Thanks, Rin. And I think, you know, really excited to have a conversation with you today about, you know, being a disabled entrepreneur and then also transitioning to working, you know, in the, uh, I guess, more mainstream tech space, but with a focus on disability and accessibility and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we often kick off the podcast by asking everybody about their innovation inspiration and essentially trying to touch on the journey of how they got to, you know, where they are now. So I was wondering if you can give us a bit of the backstory as to how you ended up, you know, uh, with the common ball and ultimately with Airbnb, but where it sort of um, all started. Um, so the innovation inspiration for me, I think happened around probably 2011, uh, sort of around then. So I uh, took some time off to go traveling. Um, I used to be a lawyer in London, um, just working crazy hours, big, big city of London law firm. And I took time out to go traveling and prior to that time I'd never really traveled much like because of my disability I was always very nervous about 
turning up somewhere and it just wouldn't work out or like things would be inaccessible. But I, but I took the plunge. Just, on, just to jump in there quickly, do you mind just telling us, us a little bit about your disability just for those who might not um, know? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have a disability called spinal muscular atrophy. Um, so I'm, I'm a wheelchair user. I'm dependent on, on a team of personal care assistants that help me on a 24 seven basis. And so, yeah, I have never really been able to walk and I don't really have much use of my arms either. So yeah. And it's a, it's a condition that I was, that I was born with. Awesome. Thanks. Just a bit of background. But yeah, so sorry. Yeah, no, actually, really good point. And <laughs> so, you know, traveling as someone with a disability was something, yeah, that I had never really done before. I was really nervous about. And I, I took this trip. And even though I had the most amazing time going around Europe, Southern Africa, went to parts of Asia, road trip to around parts of America, um, had the most wonderful time, but it was just always surprising and shocking to me just how many times things just went wrong. And, you know, Matt, like you probably have a similar inspiration behind sociability and like, you know what it's like to turn up somewhere and it just does not work. And so while it was really difficult and annoying, it also acted as the inspiration where you could see technology, just ch consumer technology changing everything. Like this was the time that, you know, particularly the iPhone and mobile and just just taking off so many new consumer products and platforms were taking off, whether it would be a, the Airbnbs or the Ubers or the, you know, you, you name it, like name your vertical, there seemed to be an app and a product for it. And like, even then it got me thinking, like I can order food on, on an app. I can, you know, book a nice place to stay on an app. I can get a tap feed, like you name it, I could do it on a tech product, but why can I not find good accessible places to stay um, using technology. And so the seed of, of, of inspiration was planted, I think, during that period. Like, even though we didn't start a Commodore till 2015, like, I will always look back at that period as like the, the start of this, this, this journey. Yeah, awesome. I think it's really important, you know, because we hear a lot of, um, I guess, you know, the kind of the, the glamorous stories about how startups come and, then, you know, they get acquired and things like that. But I think... Yeah, and I don't think it's a eureka... I, I, I'm usually skeptical of, like, the eureka moment stories. I think in, innovation genuinely happens. I wouldn't say a slow burn, but it's a journey. And, like, you, you discover something or you discover a problem. You sort of dig a bit deeper into it. You then learn a little bit more. And like, it's, as I said, like, it's very much a journey in my view. Yeah. And I think that point about like, you've discovered a problem and then, you know, in your case, you've also, you've lived with it, you live through it. That gives you a really important understanding of like what solutions, you know, don't work, but also what could work. And I think, yeah. um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we see a lot of that, particularly, I think from, for disability led innovation, this is the reality. Lots of disabled people face problems on a day-to-day -day basis that aren't solved by other means, they have to come up with solutions. Um, and it's awesome to then see that you've, you know, so successfully kind of brought it to life. So just want to kind of jump into that. And that exactly was, you know, the thing that really drove us, right? So like back in 2015, when, when we started Accommable, you know, we were a disability led organization, right? Like Martin Sibley was my co-founder. We're again, both disabled. And the way we sort of proposition the problem is that we are looking to solve a problem a for ourselves and b for like so many of our friends and our wider like families and communities like we were building for our like we were building for ourselves to a degree yeah 
which means you know you're gonna build a good product hopefully <laughs> yeah like if it if it didn't work for us or if i couldn't look my family in the eye or look my friends in the eye or like you man like if i couldn't you know I, you would be a target user right and like yeah. <laughs> if i cannot make this work for you then like i'm clearly not doing something right so you know yeah. in a comable in the early days like that, dis that deep disability understanding was so central and core to what we did. Yeah. Um, and can, we, can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, like the first, you know, few steps and actions and how you sort of started that more formal process? Because I imagine that sort of, you know, particularly where you ended up in terms of like being bought out or acquired by a much larger tech startup, it's probably not super conventional for the, you know, industry you're working in. No, of course. And so, again, the, the, the journey wasn't sort of the eureka, let's just go do something. So the backstory to that was that I left my job as a corporate lawyer to go do an MBA at Oxford. And while I was there, I was starting to learn how to code and like learn the basics of web development. And after I graduated and, and moved back to London in 2014, I was, I was looking for opportunities to improve my coding skills and to build product. Like the feeling was the best way to build up my portfolio is to sort of, you know, build things and showcase like the, the apps that I have made and, you know, like the best place for inspiration to kind of find things to build. Um, would be um, would be like thinking about what what problems do me and other disabled people face. So, you know, at the time, Martin and I were also running like a lifestyle travel magazine as well, like a bit of a you know sort of we were running this sort of blog stroke magazine, and like so we knew there was user demand, and we knew this was something that lots of people cared about. And so in, in early 2015, it was just it was a little bit kind of you know it was a bit of fun, like hey, let's see whether let's see whether I can build something. And so, you know, allowed, my, allowed me to put my coding skills to the test and, and built a basic prototype in, in, in sort of early to mid 2015 over the course of like two to three weeks and then just shared it with social media and my networks and be like, hey, people, what do you think? So like, it didn't actually start off as a business. It just started off as like, could I build something really useful and important and cool that solved a problem that I cared about? Yeah, and can you tell us a bit about the reception that you got at the time? Yeah, and again, even though like it's a super flaky early stage, like hacked together prototype, um, I, I shared it with other people who are disabled and they were like, wow, this is actually a really good idea. And like, oh my goodness, like I've just seen this listing in Spain. Oh, it's got a hoist there or it's got a rolling shower. And oh my goodness, the pictures of that listing are amazing. Like the things that we optimize for about building trust, making sure you could find the features that you need. A lot of that thinking kind of went into it right at the very beginning. And so even though like the product was buggy and had a ton of issues with that, like the, the core kernel of the proposition came through for you from the beginning. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess then, you know, the, the story sort of goes to preempted that you know, got a bit of an investment and then obviously you were able to build out, you know, a better version of the, mm -hmm. of the, of the hacked together website, I imagine. Um, and then, you know, take that in the next step. I was wondering if you can give us a bit of insight into that kind of, you know, crowding in process of trying to get other people who, uh, you know, were from, I guess, more conventional backgrounds or at least worked in more, you know, kind of conventional investing or funding kind of circles, how you got them into, you know, the disability tech sphere. Great question. Like to be very candid, it was it was it was tough. Um, and I think disability 
like it's a tough area to raise investment from and there was a few bits of luck that fell my way i think very fortunately because of like the work i've done in the past like i did have a really good network of of angel investors and wealthy wealthier individuals that are that are actively looking for opportunities so you know that's just to sort of the own that sort of like i'm very incredibly fortunate to have been able to have that network but your sort of institutional seed funds, impact funds, it was tough. And I think with disability tech, you fall into this sort of nether region where you go to maybe traditional impact social VCs and they say, well, this is not enough of a social problem. This is a for-profit business. You can go to a regular VC. You go to a regular VC because it's not an area they have domain understanding of. The usual issue would be like, ah, we don't think the market is big enough. We don't think the opportunity is big enough you know, maybe you should go to a social VC. And it was really frustrating that we sort of fell into that kind of middle ground where, yeah. And so it was a, it was a, an exhausting and sort of frustrating period to be very honest, because I think, and I think that surprising was just the struggle, the struggle that it was to get some of the social impact funds interested in what we're doing was the thing that to this day really surprises me. And, you know, if people don't think some of the challenges that disabled people face around travel and accommodation and just being able to live life like everybody else, like if you don't see that as a social problem, like I just don't know what is. Yeah, I think that's a really important point also because I think a lot of the time the stereotypes of disabled or disability factor in and it's like, well, they don't, disabled people don't want to do those things. It's not that they can't or like they're barriers, but they just like, well, they wouldn't do it anyway. And it always used to drive me up the wall, those sorts of kind of, um, th th those sorts of like assertions. And yeah, they do come through, right? And it was our sort of, you know, to use a slightly cliched phrase, sort of the theory of change was that like, if you allow people to travel, get out and about in their community more easier and explore travel and leisure like everybody else, like the knock-on following effects of that, I think can be quite profound in terms of systemic change as well. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was a struggle. Having said that, we did get, it was less a VC, we won a competition um, from the Skoll Center for Social Entrepreneurship. Um, so like, you know, we won a, a 20,000 pound kind of pitching competition prize as like our little bit of first money. Um, and that just gave us a bit of breathing, bit of breathing room to then find like your regular for-profit angel investors. And again, I said like we had a bit of luck break our way, like a, a couple of individuals that I knew from other things I've done in the past, they had a connection to disability, but were successful in sort of the business corporate world in their own right. And um, I connected them and they were like, yeah, Shrin, look, this is really cool. Um, love what you're doing. Um, Want to be involved and invest in this and think it's really important that what you're doing is out there. And, and like, yeah, I'd love to invest and help you help you take this further. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and I think that, you know, I think it's important also to call out the, the like you said, the points of luck. Like, I think that's a really important thing that people totally on the like I it's trial and error yeah and i think a lot of people kind of like pat themselves on the back and like you know everything like yeah i thought of everything everything was like you know my own sort of like instant no it wasn't like you just cannot discount like the good fortune and the luck that falls your way like sure you've got to work hard like that doesn't go anywhere but like yeah like i'm always truly grateful and thankful for the bits of like luck and good fortune that fell our way
and also for the fact that the investors that did invest in us like it was also fortunate that they like one of them in particular had a personal connection to disability via his son yeah which i think is really important to make sure that like you said the values are aligned whether it's personal connection or whatever because i think otherwise there's the danger that like you said, you go to one of these because we're in the because disability tech falls into the grey area. You're sort of you have to kind of lean one way or to the other that you might not be on the path towards, but you need funding. And from. it's a shame because I felt it was never a mutually exclusive question. Like I do truly believe, like many great businesses out there can deliver profit, like just like any other company, but also be advancing and benefit benefiting a social cause just as much. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a bunch of questions I want to ask about that, but I think let's finish off the common ball to Airbnb story. So for those who are interested, mm -hmm. how do you go then from sort of, you know, angel investment um, into, you know, what is now um, and what was at the time a very fast growing world's now one of the you know world's largest tech firms? Sure. So in, in 20, sort of late 2016, early 2017, I was growing the team, grew it to eight people and like the platform was expanding. However, and like those listening or those who have worked in tech will sort of relate to this as you are expanding and scaling, like the pressure starts to build and sort of your infrastructure starts to creak ever more. And you then need to go out and raise more capital in order to invest in that infrastructure to deal with new growth. And so we decided that we're going to have to bring in a lot more capital, like in sort of, you know, what we call a series A funding round in, in, in sort of tech jargon. So you have a seed funding round and then once you do your seed funding round, you get to some certain milestones and then, you know, you do what they call a series A sort of growth round, which is back then, you know, back then it was sort of in the low millions sort of would be the, the classic series A kind of um, funding amount. So we'd started that funding round and, my thinking at the time was even though we would be raising all of this money, is there a world where we could actually work with an existing travel platform that also has some of the infrastructure that we need so we wouldn't have to do it all ourselves again? Secondly, the other like sort of thought that was sort of ringing through my head is that do, would, would we be able to serve our community and this cause better? if accessibility was integrated as part of a global company that had the scale and reach to really have bigger impact than probably what we could ever achieve on our own. And so while we had started that funding round, we'd also started getting some introductions to the big travel platforms. And to their credit, like to this day, and I'm always again super grateful, like Airbnb were interested early on when when we when we were connected to to, to some of their to some of their leadership team. And you know, I moved I I went out to San Francisco to do a pitch and sort of one thing led to another. And yeah, uh, uh, from just a series of conversations that followed, um, Airbnb said, look, this isn't something we'd want to invest in. However, what would be even better is if we acquired a Commodore and brought in your team, your expertise, your supply and your know-how to build this out across the entire company. Yeah, awesome. And I guess how is that, um, you know, taken by the team? Obviously, I think one of the things is this is born from you and, you know, Martin as like a uh, you know, co-founding duo, but then you grew a team. And, and how does that go in terms of like getting everybody else on board with the mission? Was the, what was the reception like at the time? Yeah. And at the time, you know, I, I um, like, so I, I spent a lot of time getting stakeholders on side, 
Um, so just speaking to community, speaking to the team, getting investors on side, and just making sure that like the mission that we started off with was was preserved, and also spending time speaking to like you know opposite numbers at Airbnb to make sure that you know this is something that people legitimately care about too, and that as you said earlier, like, there's got to be that alignment of values, right? And like even like a couple of my investors were like, if you want us to like agree to this the key thing for us is not even the money. It's like we're backing, you know, you and the team to solve this problem. So like, it's also giving that comfort that this is the beginning of something much bigger and much more impactful. And so again, like, you know, you have your negotiations and all of that phase happen. And part of the deal was that I would sort of move out to America to build out this new team. And so we closed the deal in November 2017, and I moved out to America um, to, to, I guess, to, to build out this new division. Yeah, awesome. And then I guess the kind of, to, to wrap up the Airbnb story, give us a bit of an insight into what it's like then, you know, actually integrating accessibility, like you said, into a global platform and, and the challenges yeah. of that scale. Totally. And, and I think it's been an exciting challenge, albeit like it is a challenge and it's, you know, you tons of things you sort of learn from the experience. And so, look, we've got you know, new filters, we've got new tools for hosts to upload properties and, you know, showcase what they have in a much better way. However, you know, the, 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 the I guess the flip side to those challenges are like doing this in an established platform is just naturally much harder you have so many more stakeholders to sort of get buy-in from and, and, you know, rightly so, like when you are building something at scale, you know, there are so many interdependencies within an organization with many thousands of people, like a lot of your time is just spent coordinating across different groups and people. And that was a tough learning curve for me to challenge. So it's a, a tough learning curve to sort of overcome that challenge. The second thing is prioritization. Like, any big platform will always have so many things on at a given moment. And you, know, you can't always do everything at any one moment and making sure that this work could get the priority it needed. Like, again, we got there in the end, but like there was just a, a process on getting that buy-in and getting everybody on side and, you know, making sure that people understood what we were trying to achieve as well. And so while we got there and, you know, got the wheel turning, you know, it was, it was a learning curve for me on how to do this at scale within a large organization that, you know, isn't just, dis I mean, disability is important to the company, but it's, it's, you know, it's not like the, the single focus in the same way that Accommable was. And I mean, the key things for me is we got some of the underlying infrastructure in place, the underlying product in place. Um, there are dedicated people now working on this who are amazingly talented and motivated. However, and the bit I, I sort of, you know, share to the community and anyone I chat to is that this is the beginning of a journey. Like this is a multi-year journey, especially when it comes to finding enough supply. So if you look for an accessible, a listing with accessibility, especially if you're looking for a listing with a higher level of accessibility features, yeah, it is just the, the supply is still not anywhere near where I want it to be. And like, so now as I, as I as mentioned, you know, as I'm leaving Airbnb and you know, new people are going to be taking this over and driving things forward. I think the next big challenge for the next few years is, is about building supply. Yeah, really interesting. And I think, 
you know, hopefully also the, the more we can kind of talk about the importance of accessibility and the sort of need for the supply, people, you know, particularly on Airbnb can start to also think about if they can put their own, you know, houses or suggest people's houses that are more accessible to be on the platform. Because I think it is a community thing. And I think these are going to be the questions going forward, right? And I think, you know, I feel like my role these last two and a half years was to build the underlying like social and sort of technological infrastructure. Now the next stage is like how to sort of take that forward. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could talk about the Airbnb experience for ages, but um, I'm keen to move on. But just give us a quick, quick you know, number one highlight and then also one sort of like unfinished thing that, you know, you hope somebody else takes on after you leave yeah so the highlight i think was when we launched a whole new suite of tools last year to where hosts had to provide photos um if they said they had an accessibility feature and that went a whole new sort of suite of like host side tools and features that we shipped out that you know was an incredibly complicated build but something that you know will sort of be long lasting and have a lot of impact in the future to make sure that we're getting accurate information and photography from hosts. Um, so that would probably be my, like, you know, my highlight from the experience doing is, I guess the, the, the related highlight, and actually probably even a bigger highlight was just launching the team out there and bringing new people into this area. And like now as I'm leaving Airbnb, it is incredibly fun to see people that, you know, you've sort of helped train actually like they're just as domain experts as you I mean, some things know even more than me now. And I think that's like, I feel that's a hallmark of leadership where like if a good or a hopefully good management where you can train people, hopefully to like sort of be better than you where you're not even needed anymore. I think for me is the highlight. Um, and is there one thing you mentioned, obviously supply is a big challenge, but is there a thing that in particular you sort of, you know, hope that someone picks up that you yeah. I think it would be that like I think the big sort of priority for the next few years is growing the supply because like if you're going to search for like a listing with a roll-in shower in like I don't know a bunch of cities like your 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 your, your options are going to be relatively low just you know just through the fact that there isn't a huge amount there in the first place so I think the next chapter of this work is going to be thinking about how do you build out that supply and I don't think this is going to be a fully Airbnb like solution as well, right? Like how do we work with, with local cities, community groups, the disability community, also like the construction and like to build more supply in the first place is not an Airbnb problem. I think, you know, if me and you are looking for somewhere new to live, like this is a problem that we find anywhere, right? There's just a, an absolute shortage of, of accessible accommodation, like, in the world and so i think the next chapter is like how do we drive change at a much more systemic level to make sure that there is just a greater fundamental availability of accommodation yeah brilliant that's a really nice segue into uh, what i wanted to talk about next which i guess is like what do you think the impact of like you know and just to use you for example but like a being acquired by airbnb and then now accessibility being put on a much more mainstream agenda and radar what do you think the broader impact of that is, you know, for disability issues, you know, more broadly in the kind of plethora, like you said, of these systemic changes that need to happen? How do you see that being important? Well, I'm hoping it's important in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I, I, I think when big platforms, whether it be the Googles or the Ubers or the Microsofts or the Airbnbs, and they are taking notice of these issues and coming up with really like high quality solutions because like business has scale and reach 
I think there is a huge potential to drive positive change and change, like improve awareness and, and so many things that, that, that can be done in, in a positive manner. Again, I, I just think and this is an accountability, an accountability thing. It's just making sure that like, you know, that this isn't just sort of window dressing. And I know that again, it's something me and you have spoken about and it's a constant theme in the disability community that, yeah, it's just making sure that these aren't just cosmetic changes. And actually when, when companies are investing in this area, that it is legitimate, it is inclusive of disabled people, and that you know it is genuinely impactful rather than something superficial. Yeah, brilliant. And so what are some of the counter key things that you think need to, to you know, happen that are not yet happening? How, like how does this kind of, particularly on that point of like the participation and the sort of involvement of the disabled mm. community at a much more sincere level, what does that actually look like, particularly if you're Google, you're a massive entity like this? Yeah, and again, you know, I, I I sort of bias to tech just because that's the world I live in. This is not a tech thing. This is just a corporate, a global corporate employment thing. Um, I think number one, it's got to start off like we just I mean organizations just need to invest more in hiring disabled people into the workforce. I think even if nothing else gets done, just having people with lived experience and that inclusivity and diversity in the workforce just inherently drives change in itself, right? Like if your colleague, if you have colleagues around you who are cogent and aware to these issues, like that just naturally creates awareness, right? Um, so if I was to pick like one big thing, it is just like greater efforts on, on 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 hiring. But equally, I think it is a two-sided issue, where like it's not just how do we hire, but how do we invest in education and skills development to make sure that disabled people are also having the skills needed for kind of the future workforce. And my worry sort of with COVID and all the other things happening at the moment is just making sure that disabled people aren't left behind. And that, you know, as we are thinking about what does sort of the rebuilt world look like in sort of the economic carnage that COVID is, it's making sure that disabled people are a part of that conversation and are getting that, I mean, hopefully like this is gonna be a change to new investment. It's making sure that disabled people are a part of that investment. And on that point about, you know, the kind of the particular the narrative around disability and disabled people, what are some of the kind of key misconceptions you think that exist that we need to sort of really break in order for this to change? The one that sort of springs to mind, like, especially in like the DNI world, I think people are very aware of like biases and unconscious biases and making sure you have like inclusive hiring practices, et cetera, et cetera. But I think with disability, like there's also got to be an acknowledgement. There is also like other investments that need to be made. Like attitudes is just one piece of the puzzle. Like if your building is not accessible, like the most inclusive process in the world is not going to make a difference. If your local transport system um, doesn't have accessible taxis or accessible train stations, like how is someone going to get to work? Again, like in a pre-COVID world, I know now there's like the remote working solution. Um, but also like, you know, for like in disability, like healthcare issues are important. Like, again, like how are we making sure that things that are so important to many disabled people that gives them the ability to work um, are supported. And so it's just not just this standalone thing with like, yeah, we've ticked the box. We have a hiring process that is supposedly unbiased. Like, and just seeing that sort of, you know, the, the process piece is just one part of a much bigger picture and a much more holistic picture to make sure that 
disabled people can be economically empowered just like anybody else. Yeah. And I think that point about it, you know, being holistic and also really functional is a fundamental point that needs to shift. Like there's a lot of, like you said, compliance sort of focused things. You have the DNI program, it's got all the bells and whistles or, you know, you have the ramp, et cetera, but like actually can people use it or like how does it fit yeah. into a system well, where there's a goal? You know, exactly. Like one of the simple things that has enabled me to work like growing up, like the, the like social, like government, social services, give disabled people a budget to pay for independent care. Like just having stuff like that meant that I could go and have a job because there was somebody who could get me ready in the morning and like be dedicated to helping me. Whereas you know, in many parts of the world, that kind of support just simply isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also that point you mentioned of like the agency having some ability to, you know, then choose how you use those resources and what support you need because everyone's disability will mean they need different things and have different preferences as well. Yeah. And like, you know, taking that, like that, that's not then the same calling for like companies have got to solve these systemic problems on their own, but it's just an acknowledgement that changing processes through sort of the DNI channel is just the beginning and that, you know, you have to be part of wider conversations on wider systemic change if you're really going to deal with some of the, the structural barriers to being employed. Yeah, great. So in the last sort of part of the, of the interview, Shreen, I just wanted to kind of go through a bit more of a forward-looking uh, lens. So a couple of quick questions for you. Um, I imagine the, in the last 10 years, a lot's changed in terms of your work and also the kind of ecosystem in which you, you, know, you work now. Where do you see it being in 10 years' time? What's the kind of world um, that, you know, that you envisage seeing in 10 years' time in this sphere wow so <laughs> I, I to uh, i'll be very candid just, just i yeah, yeah. yeah like i just don't know anymore to be honest like <laughs> Fair enough. the world is a very strange place at the moment and if you would have told me last year that most of this year would all be locked up talking to um a video screen all day like <laughs> it is like i'd be like what um yeah. <laughs> I think there is just so much volatility and change in the world at the moment. Like I'm struggling to see what like this time next year looks like, yeah, let alone sure. like 10 years. Like, Where would you like it to be in 10 years? What I like it to be, the, the, the idealist in me would be that, you know, a like whatever, whatever the nomenclature is, like some sort of it's a restart, reset, whatever, that we use this opportunity to address problems that I think have been bubbling up a very long time around you know various economic inequalities and structural inequalities and of so many different kind of verticals and i think yeah like hopefully like covid will be the we will look back at this period as this is the engine that kind of made society hopefully more equitable and fairer and a lot more of a level playing field for people and you know hopefully the the, the benefits of that will be all apparent in, in 10 years time um so that that would be sort of the aspirational sort of idealistic sense that you know in all of this something sort of fairer is built out of it great and then i guess more specifically where do you see you know where do you, what's next for you where do you intend to be in 10 years time and, and doing what again like <laughs> no idea mate all i can say yeah. is for the next the next few months to a year i'm i'm so as mentioned yeah, the moving, next in 10 months time <laughs> yeah i'm moving away from my uh, sort of my day-to-day my -day role at Airbnb. I'm leaving Airbnb to be kept on more as an advisor. I'm just taking a bit of a break. Like, um, yeah, just sort of 
like beginning to feel a little bit sort of burnt out earlier this year, just going at it so hard the last few years. Um, so taking a step back and yeah, taking a bit of a break, uh, but also just doing other things that interest me. So I, I, I do enjoy like mentoring and supporting other founders and helping kind of get their business, helping them work on their businesses. And also just, I enjoy like learning new things. And again, what that entails, I don't know, but just using this time to sort of learn about other domains and areas that I don't know much about and just see where, just see where, where it takes me. And I guess we were, we were talking about this, this earlier, just it's, it's as much as we're passionate about disability and care about it. Like, I think it's also nice sometimes to do other things outside of disability and with a view that you learn things from outside the sector and hopefully bring great practice back into the sector yeah and i think you know that point also about like being able to stop work at some point and having a better work-life balance particularly you know if we are to be locked inside our homes for the next you know six months to a year and the work-life boundaries are already blurred i think there's definitely a really important part of you know looking after yourself and and knowing which fights to fight and, and when you need to have and spending time with friends and family. Like, I feel like yeah. I've been away a long time. Um, so, you know, just over two years in America. So I'm just looking forward just to spending more time with friends and family as well for a bit. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then I guess the final question, you sort of touched on that, that you know, um, there's a new generation of entrepreneurs and moving into this space and disability and, and lots of work to do. So what would you give to, you know, say there's to Shrin 2.0, so in a similar position to you, uh, but, you know, as you were at the start of your accommodable journey, but now, what's the kind of key piece of advice you'd, you'd give to that person who's sort of thinking about whether to embark on this? You know, they've got an idea, they've got something that they want to do, but they're not really sure about how to make it a reality. Great question. Like, I, I think there's two bits of this. I think now any founder I work with, regardless of disability or whoever they are, just it's managing expectations about, like, building a business is tough and you know you've learned this the hard way too Matt right like it's it's a it can be quite a lonely experience it's a tough experience it's it's incredibly fulfilling don't get me wrong and I would never do like I I wouldn't change anything in the world and and loved kind of what we did but equally like it's a tough journey and like you gotta really know like this is what you want to do I think the second piece is the importance of learning the skills needed to get something up and running. Right. So like a business, businesses are about execution over ideas. And like the idea is just the beginning. And if it is something technical, it is really important to either learn a little bit yourself or get to know other technical people and, you know, be in that community. Or if it's something more service-based, like, you know, it's, it's really important to kind of have a bit of depth and understanding to what you're trying to create. Yeah, great. I think that's super, super very wise advice from uh, <laughs> uh, someone who's, who's been and done that. Indeed. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Shrin. Really appreciate your time and yeah, wish you all the best with whatever comes next. Good, thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. Do you want to take part in the Elise program or be part of our community? To find out more, visit www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash enterprise forward slash Elise or give us a follow on Twitter at Elise 2020. You can find out more about our virtual and physical workshops on social media, funding, app development, and a masterclass on accessible comms. Captioning will be available for each session. We'd also like to thank our Elise partners, including Barclays Eagle Labs, Capsule Enterprise, Disability Rights UK, Global Disability Innovation Hub, 
Hackney Council, Here East, Greater London Authority, Inclusion London, London Legacy Development Corporation, Loughborough University London, Plexor, London College of Fashion and UCL. This podcast is powered by Sociability.